Hey, that's right. You heard it in the prayer, and that's right. We are in a new chapter. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, that's right, chapter two, lesson two, page uh, whatever that is, uh, that's where we will be as you turn there. And we are in our study, that's right, once again on world religions, cults, and the occult. As we saw the last five weeks, that we have been in the introduction. Lots going on in the introduction, kind of giving us a little heads up where we're headed and why. Answering the question, how in the world did we end up with so many different world religions, cults, and the occult? And we took a look at that. That's the enemy. And the big thing he wants people to get away from is, of course, the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is the source of truth. So if you don't know the Bible, if you don't understand the Bible, you don't study the Bible, you don't read the Bible, guess what? You're going to get into air, <clears throat> or you're going to suck up air. And even, even last time we saw not just a world religion, even a so-called pseudo-fake Christian cult, and there's a bunch of them out there, you're going to get sucked up into that as well. The antidote to getting uh, into falsehood is right here in the Bible. So is it any wonder that the enemy works overtime into getting us away from that? But that's right. We are in lesson number two. We are on this topic of Judaism, Okay. And uh, does anybody have any idea who that deals with? The Jewish people, that's right. You can give yourself a golf clap. Not a full clap, just a golf clap. Courtesy. You guys are doing good, that's right. Uh, Judaism, let's take a look there. Let's take a look at the history. Uh, Where did the Jewish people come from? Right? And uh, let's take a look at the history. To begin to understand Judaism, it's important to understand how God has communicated with mankind through the ages, okay, the ages. Uh, as we read through and understand the chronology of the Bible, okay, which is interesting, if you guys aren't aware already, did you know the Bible is not presented to us in chronological order? Now, it was written in chronological order, obviously, as it happened. We'll see that, uh, Lord willing, tonight. But the books aren't always arranged in chronological order. And that's why we talked before in our discipleship studies, you want to blow your mind, uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, get those put together, and there's resources that have done the homework for you, get those books to put together into one Gospel chronologically, and it's like reading it for the first time, it's amazing, okay? But that's what you got to keep in mind, and that's why I've always been a big fan of timelines. I don't know if you guys can see it, because I'm hiding it. It's very secure and hidden under delicate camouflage tonight. <laughs> but timelines, because that helps us to understand chronologically when we approach a book of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, where does it fall into place, okay? But that's what we're going to see. Uh, the chronology of the Bible, we see that God did not provide all information about himself at a single time, but progressively added more revelation concerning himself and his plan. And you're going to see that his plan through the ages started uh, obviously before the beginning of time, and of course, time is itself a created thing. Um, that's what we see in the very first page of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, what's that? Time. God created the what? The heavens and the earth, space and matter. Time, space, matter. That's our continuum right there. But time itself, we know, is a created thing, if you can believe that. Uh, it really is. Scientists know that today. They've done experiments. Uh, they've actually uh, uh, slowed time. They've uh, bent time. And so that means that it's something that is a created uh, thing. And of course, God dwells above and beyond time in the realm of eternity. And so God can look at time all at the beginning, creation to the very end, all at the same time. He could flip through like he's reading through the pages of a book all at the same time. We're going to take a look at this timeline. This timeline only takes us up to basically the early church after, just after the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. But uh, God's above and beyond that if you could picture all that. And he could see the whole beginning from the end. That's why he says, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega. 
But I want to take you in the history of the Jewish people. How in the world uh, did the Jewish people get started? Why are they important uh, to you and I? Not just in the Old Testament and the first coming, but why are they very critical when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ? So we're going to start over here. Anybody got like some manly man, Vegas timeline, drum roll, John? That would be no. All right, uh, forget it. Let's skip over there. We got a lot to cover. Uh, obviously, it began at creation, right? How many guys remember that day? Wasn't it awesome? It was so great that... Yeah, praise God, it wasn't there. Now, we don't know exactly when it happened. You know, Bishop Usher says like 4004 B.C., blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you can get that exact. Although some people would say that we know that Adam was created in the earlier part of the day because the Bible says he was created before Eve. It's going to be a long day. So let's move on. So uh, obviously, so man, God created his plan. What's his plan? Where the, why the Jewish people? Why they're so important? It started with the creation, right? God created us to have a wonderful relationship with him. Man was created different than all the animals. We were a tripart being. We're given a spirit, a soul, and a body. Animals only have a soul and a body. Okay, we were created spiritually and morally in the image of God to have a relationship with him. And in the beginning, that's the way it was. It was awesome. It was called paradise. It was called the Garden of Eden. Okay, it was wonderful. But what happened? Genesis 3, sin entered into the world through one man, Adam, okay? Eve, uh, you know, Satan came and tempted her, and the fall of mankind is what it's called. That's when we all have inherited the sin nature, okay? And I think that's an easier concept for us to get down our scientific day with DNA and how you can pass genetically. Well, guess what? The sin nature's passed. People aren't, they don't become sinners. We're born DOA, spiritually on arrival, so to speak. We're cut off from God because of sin. We are born sinners, right? And we've talked about that before. That's easy to demonstrate. I don't know about you, but I did not. Believe you me as a parent, I did not teach my son to say, no, nor my daughter. Where did that come from? Where did this rebellious streak to do what you want instead of what somebody else says? That's the sin nature, right? Hey, you want to see some sin natures? Nursery time. Volunteer. It's good theology. It's awesome theology. Right? You go in there and some kid, I didn't tell you to sit on the other kid's face. What are you doing? Right? <laughs> I digress. But anyway, so it's the fall of mankind, right, is where we're at there, uh, roughly 4,000 BC, 6,000 roughly years ago, all right? So, but right after that, here's where you're going, the Jewish people come into play. Why? Because believe it or not, it starts way back in Genesis 3.15. Now, if you understand Genesis 3.15, it's basically mankind blew it, God could have nuked the whole planet, the whole human race, and start all over, and been completely just and righteous in doing so. But what'd he do? He said, I'll tell you what, Genesis 3.15, one day I'm going to make it right, right? The seed of the woman... Is going to crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to fix what you just messed up, okay? And so basically from Genesis 3.15, that's how you understand the whole of Scripture. God is going to bring that about and ultimately culminates in Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the virgin birth, Jesus Christ. So that's basically what's going on. So basically mankind from that point began to go downhill. And from that point, you had basically the pre-flood society, which we went seriously down deep in our creation studies, if you want more info on that one, uh, in the days of Noah. And, uh, but the society got extremely wicked, right? What did Jesus say? When, how do you know it's getting close to his second coming? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So if you want to know you're getting close, we don't know the exact day nor the hour, but your society is going to start to look like Noah's day. And we see actually a couple of interesting things in that text there in Genesis 6 about Noah's day. It was extremely wicked. In fact, it says there, the thoughts of mankind were continually wicked, that it grieved God. Good thing we don't see that today. Yeah, okay. And uh, not only that, we see some weird stuff going on. There was this weird hybrid thing going on with the fallen angels and stuff. And mankind isn't trying to genetically alter and make hybrids and stuff. 
that's even being repeated today. That's kind of freaky. Isn't that wild? 6,000 years? It's being all repeated. Anyway, so that's why. So God said, that's it. I've had it. And basically hit a restart button for humanity. And that's when we have Noah, right? Other people could have gotten the ark, you know, possibly. But everybody laughed at Noah, right? Because all of a sudden, he was talking about something that they'd never seen before. It's the same message we have today, right? He said, hey, listen, guys, you better get in this boat, man. There's only one way out of this mess. Judgment day's coming, right? And you're going to see this, this liquid stuff come from the sky, rain, right? And then it's going to flood the whole world, and you better get in this boat. And same thing. What do we say today? Hey, man, there's only one way out. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Another piece of wood, right? It's the cross this time. And that's the new ark, if you will. And that's the only way. And you're going to see, you know, the angels, Jesus coming back. And it's, you know, you've got to get now. It's the same message that one of people do to, to us. Same thing, they laugh, scoff them. But do you think they were laughing when that first raindrop hit their head? Can you imagine? I want, you, know, you can't say, thus saith the Lord. But people pounding on the ark. Noah, it was too late. Wow, you need to get saved now. But anyway, so that's what happened. So basically, they get off the ark, and what happened? Man, they sure learned their lesson. I tell you what, don't you ever rebel against God. Now I tell you what, yeah, what did they do? God says, get out there, disperse, right? Like I said, and what did they do? No. <laughs> Right? And they begin Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. They rebelled against God again, right afterwards. You'd think the flood would get your attention, man. But no, no, no. And so then uh, God basically confused their language. Babel, that's what it means to Babel, uh, Babylon. Okay? And uh, they began to finally disperse into these uh, smaller groups. But mankind basically had a restart, and everybody went into different parts of the world, finally did what they're supposed to do. Now, so mankind's beginning to repopulate the planet again. And this is when you have the call of this guy, uh, Abram, later changed to Abraham. Okay, from the Ur of the Chaldees, okay, up there on the Fertile Crescent in the Mesopotamian region, okay, and God calls him out. You're going, well, why? Why is that such a big deal? It doesn't make sense until you understand the promise. The promise way back here, Genesis 3.15. What's the promise? One day, what's God going to do? I'm going to fix it. From the seed of the woman, okay, one day I'm going to send my son, the Messiah. He's going to fix it, right? So how's that going to happen? Well, he needs somebody for that seed to come through, right? So he begins to pick the Jewish people from which the Messiah would come. So the Jewish people are all part of this promise that God is going to undo the evil one, the devil's works, as the scripture says that Jesus did on the cross. So he calls out Abraham, then he finally goes there, but he didn't trust God and wait for God because God says, I'm going to give you a son, and you're going to be this great nation, these great people, and you're going to be like the sand on the seashore, and there's so many people, and a year went by, another year went by, another year went by, and Another year went by, and another year went by, and guess what? He was like, man, come on, God, I'm 100 years old, my wife's 90, and you said I was going to be this great nation. So he compromised, and that's where you get Ishmael, okay, uh, with Haggai, or Haggai, or Hagar. And then finally God did what he said he's going to do, because God fulfills his promises every single time, right? So here you have Isaac. Did you know that those guys warred against each other, Isaac and uh, Ishmael? Did you know that's still going on today? You want to know why we still have the, every day when you see on the news over there with the Palestinian Arab community against Israel, it's the same. If you trace the lineage, it's Ishmael and Isaac. They're still going at it today, right? Abraham should have listened to God. But anyway, so, but God kept it going. So it went through his seed, through Isaac, and then Isaac, of course, with Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. That's typically who the birthrights would go through, but guess what he did? He forsook it, right? And, uh, and then it went to uh, Jacob, whose later name was changed to Israel. That's where we get the Israel, Israelites, from Jacob. Jacob, of course, then goes to the 12 tribes, right? The 12 tribes from the 12 sons, right? Now, one of the sons, of course, was Joseph. And Joseph was really popular with his family. 
No. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes your family, when God's called you to do something, even they don't believe you and things of that nature. Okay, but you keep doing what God's called you to do. So they sold him into slavery, right? It's a fantastic, uh, true account, obviously, of this guy. And they chucked him in a well, and then he went into uh, Egypt, right? And they sold him into slavery, into, into Egypt. And he gets there, and he starts working for this guy, and things are going well. And then all of a sudden, the, he gets set up by Potiphar's wife, and he gets accused of rape, and he didn't do nothing. He was standing for God. And then he goes to jail, and then he's in jail, and, he, and God again watches over him, gives him favor, and, and then he gives the interpretation of some dreams for a couple guys. He says, hey, remember me? And he, they didn't do it. The guy left him to rot. And so basically, finally, uh, he gets uh, into the position. Second in power, okay? So now he's second in power, and guess what happened? happens here comes a big famine so guess what god has it doesn't god have a sense of humor right and his family so god brings his family down uh in the time of famine and says hey we need help but they don't know it's him and you guys know the story and all that stuff he says too bad man you guys are toast uh he skinned him alive and he ran him over with chariots and lapped his and went and had a cheeseburger oh, i'm sorry wrong bible no it's amazing he says you meant it for evil he confronted him on it but God allowed it for good for the saving of many souls and many lives. And, and his family, he blessed them and kissed them and, and welcomed them back in. That's a, what a testimony. Anyway, so that's basically, so that's how they ended up in Egypt. Okay, now, basically about 400 years go by, right? And then all of a sudden you hear this guy, Moses, right? Moses was born and all that stuff. Why? Because after about 400 years, as the scripture says, guess what? Pharaoh's forgot about Joseph. They didn't remember how, what he saved the country and saved the people and all that stuff. So they forgot about him. And then, by the way, these Jewish people in the meantime started out with the 12 sons and uh, ultimately the 12 tribes, but they began to populate, right? And they've been to slavery, and they thought, well, these guys are going to take over. The, you know, so they started to treat them harshly, and guess who was watching the whole time? God. Okay, now, now, now again, why is this important with the Jewish people? Don't forget Genesis 3.15. God's raising up a people, right? Raising up a people because out of these people would become the one, the Messiah, who would crush the head of the serpent. So again, so with Egypt, and that's where you got Moses. He confronts Pharaoh, let my people go, and all this stuff and what have you. And he didn't. You guys know all the, the accounts of that. And so basically, they head out towards the promised land, right? And the reason why it took 40 years to get to the promised land was because they got lost. They didn't have GPSs like today. And it was just, oh, I'm sorry. No, wrong Bible again. Uh, no, it's because he took them there, but what they'd not do. They didn't trust God. They were afraid, right? Right? And so God had them taking laps in the desert. We never do that. We never don't trust God to do what he calls us to do. And we don't take circles and go a lap in the desert. Yeah, it's the unbelief. Believe him. Trust him. It may look big. It may look imposing. But do what he says to do. He'll take the giants down for you. Okay, in the land. Anyway, so basically that's what you have going on with him. And uh, the first generation rejected it. So basically the reason why it was 40 years, because God was waiting for that generation who didn't trust him to die off, so, and he gave the second generation a chance. The only two of the previous one who got to go through, not even Moses got to go through, got to see it from afar, but he didn't get to go through, okay, uh, because other things that he did, uh, but was just uh, Joshua and Caleb, right? The two that, that, that trusted and believed God. So second generation said, yeah, so that's where you get into kind of the really uh, cool part. Uh, this is your payoff, right? Because you just made Genesis is really cool. Exodus got some action. Leviticus. Deuteronomy. It's like I heard this before. That's what it means. Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law. I just, anyway, but here's your payoff, because then you get into judges, right? And action picks up, right? And all that, and Joshua, and stuff of that nature. And that's what happens. So that's the account of finally the second generation going into the promised land. Why? Because God's given them a land. He's fulfilling the promise way back where? To Abraham, right? 
and that because God keeps his promises. And again, what we'll see, Lord willing, later in our study is why are the Jewish people, why do we pray for Israel? Why do we need to support Israel? Because they get a free pass, the rest of us have to go through Jesus Christ? No. Because from a lineage sense, there's certain promises, Abrahamic covenant and Davidic covenant, that God hasn't fulfilled yet. He's not done with the Jewish people. Remember his plan, right? Because one day, this, uh, from the lineage of David, is going to come one, not just to save the world, but he's going to rule and reign over the whole earth. Has that happened yet? So that means God's not done. So anyway, so that's kind of that issue. So you got in here with the Exodus and all that stuff with Moses uh, and, the, and the guys lead him in. you got the second generation. They're going into the conquest of the judges. And, and it's just, the, I, I love reading through uh, 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 Joshua and Judges especially because to me that's, that's Americana right there. That's American Christianity. You want to know what's wrong with this? That's what's wrong with this because you look in that account. God would raise up a, a leader, a great godly leader. Right? And, 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 and God would use them to bring in a heyday to be a great time, and things would go awesome and right there. And as soon as God prospered them, guess what would happen? Be it a couple years, be it 10 years, 20 years, as soon as that guy died, the people went back to sin. And then they, they would say, oh, we're being oppressed and all this stuff. And so God would say, all right. So he'd raise up some guy, and they'd come and save him, whatever. And then bring him out, yeah, yeah, we're going to follow God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then things would go well for a while, and guess what would happen? And go back in the sand, over and over, and we never do that. Yeah, whatever. So anyway, it's very applicable, believe you me. So anyway, so you got that. And then finally, things were going well, because technically it's still a theocracy government form. Theos, God. Uh, God was still ruling. He'd raise up a judge to save him. But God was basically leading God and the people, right, still. But then the people begin to cry, we want a king like everybody else. How come we're going to have a king? We want a king. God says, you don't even know what you're asking for. Right? Excuse me, am I not good enough to lead you? Right? He said, okay, fine, I'll give you a king. Guess who they ended up with? King Saul. Right? <laughs> How did he work out for you? Not too well. Right? Okay. And uh, so he did that. And, of course, then eventually came the heyday with King David. And the difference between King Saul and King David, amongst other things, David was a man after God's own heart. Okay, now, now, now why are we talking about this? Because remember the whole point. Now he's getting into an established land, into an established kingdom, and he's about to give David some incredible promises about the Messiah because, remember, it makes no sense until Genesis 3.15. God's going to raise up, and he needs a Jew, he needs a people, and he picked the Jewish people for that purpose. King David, of course, you have the heyday, and then, of course, King David uh, did what the other people uh, refused to do, certainly King Saul, a bunch of chicken livers, and they basically captured uh, the land, and it was a great heyday. And not only that, but uh, King David so loved God that he was more concerned about not himself but God, and he wanted to build God a temple. Because before then, it was a traveling tabernacle. Right? And David wanted to get a secure one. And, but God wouldn't let him do it because there's so much blood on your hands. David was a great warrior and things of that nature. So David began to amass and take his own money, his own wealth, massive amounts of wealth, and left it to King Solomon. Okay, Solomon's temple, and that's where Solomon got to do it after David passed away. King Solomon is a great time, but before he got there, King Solomon, even though he had the right to rule and reign, and he was uh, uh, chosen as the successor of David by David himself, okay, he had four people against him and tried to undermine him and overthrow him and all that stuff. And uh, so they started out his kingdom in a little bit of turmoil, but once those four people were dealt with, phew, things took off, and you had the heyday period of Israel. The wisest man who ever lived, the richest man who ever lived, everybody came uh, to Solomon to hear this guy's wisdom. It was just absolutely mind-blowing, a great time period. Okay, uh, And then, unfortunately, after he died, what happened? Man, it didn't take long, right? didn't take long. Unfortunately, that's when you had the kingdom split. 
right? And then you have Rehoboam, and, you know, he says, and the people came to him, he said, hey, listen, man, we had a lot of taxes from your dad, you know, building this temple and all this stuff. Hey, how about, how if, he, how about if he eased it a little bit for the people? And he says, oh, yeah. He didn't listen to the older guys, listen to the younger guys. He said, oh, you know, tell them who's boss, basically. And he says, oh, you think my dad was strict? I'll tell you what, man, I tell you, I'm going to put the hammer down on you guys. And so they said, that's it. We've had it with you. And so that's what caused the split of Israel. You had the 10 tribes went up north, and that's where you have uh, with the, the Israel up in that area. And then you had the, only the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, stayed down in Jerusalem area. And that continued the divided kingdom for a long time. And that's where you get into the, the, the first and second kings, first and second chronicles, all through that area. Then you get into the major prophets and the minor prophets. Why were, where were the prophets? Because God was sending the prophets to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom to steer them back to him because they were getting into idolatry and they were living like the rest of the world. And again, God doesn't want you to live like the rest of the world because you're supposed to be unique people, right? And out of you is going to come the promise of Genesis 3.15. So anyway, so he says that's where you get all the prophets in the Bible and that's what they're doing. They're either talking to the Israelites uh, or Israel, the northern kingdom, or Judah and Benjamin in the southern kingdom, okay? Go back and forth. Now, Israel, God basically said, that's it. Put up with them for quite some time. Gave them a chance. Look at all these different prophets. How many of these guys? Does God ever give us chances? right? You push it far enough, and he says, that's it. The hammer's coming down, right? And so he gave them chance after chance, and finally they fall, and that's the captivity with the Assyrians. The Assyrians came and took them away, and that, that did with, with them. And then, of course, then uh, down here, the southern kingdom was still going, as you can see, a little bit further along, but guess what? They eventually didn't turn around either. Now, eventually they weren't as bad. You know, they still had good, they had more good leaders, definitely, I would say, than uh, the 10 up north, but eventually they went bad too, and so guess what? That's when they went into captivity with Babylon, 586, okay, with Nebuchadnezzar and things of that nature, all right? So then they're over there, and guess what they're doing in captivity? <laughs> you know, Jeremiah, lamentation, I was beautiful. <laughs> and so once again, while God hears a cry, what's he do? He's, he's merciful. Well, he eventually brought them out, and this is where you have uh, them coming back with Zechariah and Haggai, and they begin to rebuild the temple. God lets them there with the decree of Cyrus and all that stuff, if you recall that. And then, of course, they get the temple complete, but it kind of pretty much stopped right there. And then they just, you know, and then God raised up uh, uh, the other ones. It was certainly Nehemiah. He goes in. The guy, they didn't even complete the city. And so he comes back with Ezra, and they have a revival and things of that nature. And basically, things go pretty well. You think after all that, you think when after all that, you would stop rebelling against God. Nope. Even after getting into captivity, he lets you out again. Nope, they still did. And so after what, basically, it ends with the last book of the Old Testament, and that we have there, and uh, basically ends and says, basically, the prophet Malachi says, that's it, not going to hear anything from me until the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who's that? That ends up being John the Baptist that we see in the New Testament. And so basically, that's what you have of four, another 400 years, roughly, of what's called silence. God says, that's it. I'm, I'm not, not going to say nothing to you. You're not going to hear squat from me. I've had it, right? That's also what's called, in theological terms, the intertestamental period, right? In between the Testaments, right? It wasn't just like you finished up with Malachi, Okay, and then all of a sudden, next year, here's Matthew. No, there's about a 400-year gap, okay, that's in there. Now, what's interesting, you think, well, God was just sitting there going like this. No, he wasn't. Doing some amazing things that I think are being repeated today, preparing the way for the second coming. During the intertestamental period, during those, the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was doing some amazing things. And one of the things was, was Alexander the Great. Okay, which if you think about it, uh, he even prophesied with Daniel. That was, that's a whole other thing and what he would do. But anyway, Alexander the Great, one thing that he brought that was very unique at that time was a common language. And that common language was Greek. 
And that's actually what the New Testament ended up getting written in. Koine means common, Koine Greek, right? So God was bringing, because everybody spoke their different language, right? So God, before Jesus came, his first coming, and before the New Testament was written and began to be dispersed, God provided this whole surrounding area to be able to speak a common language. And he picked that common language to write his word in, the New Testament. The second thing that was going on with the Roman Empire later, one of the things that the Romans did, of course they were doing it for conquering purposes, is they built a massive transportation system. Some of the roads are still in existence and still good today. Uh, a major uh, construction feats and whatever. So God provided also a transportation system. You go, well, what, what's all that for? Because he knew what was coming, right? He was setting it up. Because finally, Genesis 3.15 comes into play. Right? John the Baptist, he prepares the way for the Messiah, announces it just like the uh, Old Testament prophesied. And here comes Jesus. Of course, we know he is the Messiah. Right? Dies on the cross, r- rises again from the grave. And then we have the recordings and the writings in the New Testament. So what they do? What they did is they put him in a vault and they left him there to collect dust. And, and they kept that secret all to themselves. No, they went out, as Jesus said, into all the world, right? Well, guess what? God had set the whole thing up because they wrote it in the common language so that everybody could understand Koine Greek, and they had a fantastic transportation system that they could disperse it very quickly. I really think that's being repeated today in these last days before the second coming of Jesus Christ on an even grander scale, and I don't think it's by chance. In fact, that, that language ability to break down the language barrier isn't just Koine Greek, okay? And it's not just the English language. Even those who don't know English, we can still communicate with the internet. The walls have come down, and we can communicate to anybody anywhere in the world. And then if you look at not just our transportation system with the highways and cars and trains, I'm not talking about that. Hey, listen, we can share the gospel now as Christians, and that's what we're doing here at Sunrise, 24 hours a day, seven days a week around the whole planet. Can you imagine the early church having the technology we have today? Why do you think God opened up the transportation system and brought down the language barrier on steroids even much more than he did when the New Testament first started? Because he's merciful. And he wants his word out more than we could ever dream. And he's given us all these tools at our fingertips uh, with that. So basically, then you have that with the birth of the early church and then forward. So now I'm not going to go through the church age, but what I will do is I'm going to try to continue on, uh, hopefully here, uh, down here. Uh, we'll do it up here. This is the temple. And down here. Okay. So basically, you have the birth of the church. So let's start with the cross of Jesus Christ. And then you have what's called, throughout the ages, the last roughly 2,000 years, is what's called the church age. Okay. Is what's going on there. Okay. And eventually, the only thing that's next on God's timeline, because eventually you're going to run to the end of time. We saw the beginning of the time there with creation. There's going to be an end of time. And this is what the theological terms call the eternal state. Okay. It's just the eternal state. Okay, the new heavens and the new earth come down, and that's it. There's no more devil, no more sin, no more rebellion. It's going to be awesome, right? But basically, from that, you have the church age. The only thing that's left on God's prophetic time calendar, this is not drawn to scale, obviously, is what's called the rapture. The rapture could happen tonight. If you're... <laughs> the rapture could happen, right? Exactly. So that's it, all right? So right after that, sometime after that, Daniel 9.27, the Antichrist makes a... Covenant, a peace treaty with who? The Jewish people. They come back into play. Interesting. We'll get to that, Lord willing, maybe next time. Okay. Uh, why they're important for the last days. Okay. But the rapture. Okay. Then you have the seven-year tribulation basically uh, going on here. And, uh, of course, you have the six seals that's going on there. Why is this happening? Because this is fulfillment of back here in Daniel's 70th week uh, vision there. 69 have passed. The first 69 weeks are groups of seven, seven years. 
okay, culminated with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the exact day, if you do the math. Very interesting. Okay, so there's one week left, one group of seven, seven years to fulfill that promise. Okay, and again, that's when the Jewish people would, God would, they would rule and reign from the earth. That hasn't happened. So this has to take place this final week before that can happen, right? And that's why we have a seven-year tribulation. It's not a 17-year, it's not a two-year, it's not 1.37 days, okay? It's seven years because it's the final week of Daniel's 70th prophecy, right? And it has to do with the Jewish people. The, problem, the reason for the seven-year tribulation, the final week, if in a, you, you you need to go back to Daniel to understand this. That's where it first occurred. That's called biblical interpretation, correct? Right? Has nothing to do with the church. The church wasn't even in existence. The two purpose for the seven-year tribulation, the final week, was to draw out, once again, God's remnant of the Jewish people, because, again, he's still not done with them. Number two, to pour out his wrath on the Gentile nations. Okay, God is going to have a last word on all the evil and junk that we're going on today. He's being merciful. If you're not saved, you need to get saved right now. Okay, but that's what's going to happen. So his wrath is going to be poured out for the seven years, the final week. Okay, you got your six seals right here. Halfway into this, three, three and a half point, the Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt Jewish temple, declares himself to be God. This is when finally the blinders come off. As Paul says, they're under a temporary blindness, the Jewish people come off. They go, oh boy, did we make a big mistake. We made a covenant with this guy and now he's in our temple and he declared, ah. and so then unfortunately the scripture says two thirds are going to be annihilated. There's going to be another Jewish Holocaust. Okay. And, but one third, God is going to sovereignly protect. Why? Because he's not done with the Jewish people again. Okay. And this is where in the back half, and it's just, remember Jesus says as labor pains, and we all know ladies that when you give birth to a child, it gets easier as you go. Wrong translation again. What Bible is that? I don't know. It's some weird version. Uh, but anyway, uh, no, it gets worse. And that's what you see. It, because in the second half after the Antichrist, oh boy, you thought it was bad. Now you're into uh, serious hard times. And you got the trumpets, okay? And then you got the bowls, okay? The first half was bad enough for the seals, man. It's like double time. In fact, the bowls are just, blah, just in a final, just pouring out and it's over and it's thrashed the whole. I mean, before there was earthquakes and every mountain and island were shaken from its place. Uh, when you get into the final giant earthquake, every city on the whole planet, everything's leveled. God isn't messing around. Okay, but what happens? This is, the film, this is the last, the 70th week is now fulfilled. What happens? That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he comes to put down the battle of Armageddon, okay, squelches it. We come back with him, right, been with, with the Lord. And we come back with him, and guess what happens? He sets up his millennial reign. That's a thousand-year millennial reign. You're thinking, okay, finally, they made it, right? Well, unfortunately, there are going to be people, not us, because we don't have a sin nature anymore, praise God, okay, so that's not where the rebellion comes from. At the end of this, the Bible talks about one final rebellion. Satan is bound this whole time. That's why it's a fantastic time. God renovates the whole planet back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. We even have peace with nature, peace with animals. It's awesome. Okay? And, and if anything, God's saying, listen, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here. No more invisible stuff. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to rule and reign from Jerusalem myself. Okay? And I'm going to renovate the planet. And you're going to have it on easy street. I mean, you're, it's going to be productivity. Nobody's going to have without lack. It's going to be awesome. The government's going to be right. There's no bribery, no justice, no, no, none of that stuff. I mean, I'm, and, and then it still isn't going to be good enough for you, is it? Right? Because the people here, there's going to be people, uh, certainly uh, the Jewish people who uh, are, are the remnant, are going to march into the millennial kingdom. Guess what they still have? Sin nature. There's going to be people who get saved during the seven-year tribulation. Okay, not the church as you and I understand it. That's the benefit of getting saved now. But people, God's merciful in the midst of his judgment. 
You can still get saved during that time. But uh, they're going to be marching into that time period. Guess what they have? Sin nature. So they're going to still have babies, and they're going to populate the planet, and the planet's going to be populated again, right? And then that's what's going to be a part of that unfortunate final rebellion. So the Scripture talks about in Revelation, towards the end there, God puts it down, bang, just like that. That's it. Has the great white throne judgment. All the people of all mankind who have been chucked into hell, okay, are raised up before God at the great white throne judgment, okay, and they basically go from the frying pan into the fire. Then they join the false prophet and the Antichrist and Satan and the demons into the lake of fire, and so shall it always be forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's when God says, that's it. Second Peter okay, kicks into place when God, everything goes up into a big giant fireball, not just the earth, but the whole universe, everything just boom. New heavens, new earth, Jerusalem coming down from above, awesome, that's your eternal state. There it is. You guys got that memorized? Yeah, okay. So that's your history of the Jewish people and why they're important uh, tonight in a nutshell. All right, so let's go on, all right? So that's himself and his plan. But do you see how God kind of revealed that as he went, right? He didn't give you the whole intro law at the beginning. But if you understand, the key thing is what happens in Genesis in Genesis 3.15, from the seed of the woman, one day, is going to come one, Jesus, from the Jewish lineage, who's going to crush Satan, okay? And that's what the Bible is really all about. This is called progressive revelation, is your blank there. Progressive revelation. God's revelation has not uh, gone from error to truth. He wasn't trying to like, oops, I've got to fix it now. I got it wrong earlier. No, he's just piecemealing it to you, so to speak, uh, to completeness. Truth in the Old Testament is truth. However, it's not complete. For example, the truth about the nature of God in the Old Testament is true, and the fullness is alluded to, but it's just not complete. Truth about the Messiah is given in the Old Testament, but it's not complete until the New Testament. In fact, one thing that you see that's even going on in the Old Testament is God was foreshadowing the reality that was to be found in Christ. He was giving you typologies, if you will. Because again, he's a multidimensional being. God's kind of big, last time I checked. And he's infinite. So how is an infinite multi-dimensional being going to be able to communicate a serious message that these finite little critters with their little tiny brains are going to get, right? Remember when he appeared on the mountain with Moses? What did people do? Moses, So he teaches in a different way to get the message across. Now, one of the ways that he did that, of course, uh, when the Jewish people were being called out with Moses, right? And they're starting, God was starting to fulfill that promise again, Genesis 3.15, is something called the Ten Commandments, right? And so Ten Commandments, why did God give the Ten Commandments? Because he knew the Jewish people could keep them. No, it was God's object lesson to show us. Nothing's wrong with the commandments. The the commandments, as Paul says, are holy and right and just. The problem is our inability to keep them. The Ten Commandments were not to show, and this is what we'll see later with the modern Jewish people, or even people today who claim to be Christians, who think you get there because you try to do good deeds and become a, you know, go to church, sir, no, right? Is this was not to show a means of earning your way to heaven. If I keep these 10 things, it was God's way to show us our inability to keep them. Because none of us, myself included, can keep them. None of us. You can't, we can't even make it past the first one. Worship God only. Name one day in our existence, before or after being saved, we ever did that for a whole day. Never Right? And if you say you did, you just broke the ninth commandment, which is don't lie. So let's move on. Right? Right? So that's why. So, so what was it? It was God's way, uh, multidimensional. How am I going to get this message across to these people? I, I'm going to give them a divine x-ray. Right? 
right? I'm going to show them that, hey, here's the conclusion I'm trying to work you towards. Me holy, you not. You heap trouble, right? And that's what this shows you. It's like, wait a second, I can't keep these. I'm going, what? And, and they're holy and God expects them. And I'm not like God. I'm, right? The Jewish people later uh, not only thought that they could earn their way, and still today, but then they added to these commandments and all these crazy things, and we'll get to those later. Okay, but then God sent another object lesson in case you didn't get that one, and that's with the temple. Okay, the temple is what we see uh, came from God. And you're thinking, why was God in that part that we're going, oh man, are you serious? The yarn had to be this color and that, and twisted like this with the fiber, and it had to be exactly this feet and that, and I'm not into construction. I don't care, right? Why did God be so exacting with that? Well, one, it's going to come in later handy with the temple the Jewish people are right now getting ready to build, which will be the actual temple the actual Antichrist goes into and declares himself to be God because they're following that to a T, the instructions. But the other thing is there's also a lesson even in the temple, just like the Ten Commandments. Once again, God's trying to get across to people that he is holy, we are not, we're in a heap of trouble, we need a savior somebody to save us from this dilemma and that's when you take a look at how god designed this thing right and this is basically the temple again it was a tabernacle a traveling a tent version later it was more stationary with king david and the others that were built uh after they were destroyed and rebuilt but it became a temple stationary one but anyway there, you couldn't get in here any way you wanted to you could say well hey there it is i'm gonna come i'm gonna climb over the wall no you can't you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do a grappling hook and come in over here on this direction. No, I'm going to see if I can get through a window. There was only one way in, and it's called the gate. You had to get the, if you wanted to get, and because this is the most, this is on the ark. You remember the cherubim there with the mercy seat that was there? That was symbolic of the actual presence of God. That's why it's called not just the holy place, the most holy place. So how are you going to get to the actual presence of God? Well, the only way, the first thing you got to do is you got to go through the gate. Ooh, now you're starting to see New Testament words pop off. Who said he was the gate? Do you think that's my chance? No. Because then when you make it through the gate, the next thing you encounter is the altar of burnt offering. Who offered himself as a sacrifice? A lamb, sacrificial lamb for our sakes. Oh, that's interesting. So again, what's the ultimate goal? I want to get to the presence of God, right? Oh, and then you encounter what was called the bronze laver, or the labor of cleansing with the water, and you'd be cleansed. Hey, who cleanses us from our sins? Oh, it's Jesus. Okay, then you get into what's called the holy place. And when you get into the holy place, you got some interesting things going on there. Certainly, you have the menorah. you got the lights. And hey, didn't somebody say they were the light of the world? And I'm sure that was per uh, quinkadink or something. And then, of course, on the other side, you got the table of showbread. And didn't Jesus say he was the bread of life? But again, I'm sure it's just a quinkadink. Uh, and then you get into the altar of incense, right? And who's a fragrant incense uh, going up before us? Uh, and aren't you glad that God doesn't smell the stench of our sins anymore uh, because of the fragrant offering of Jesus Christ, okay? Then you get into the most holy place. But there was something that was separating the people from the most holy place, and that was the veil. Turn your Bibles real quick to Matthew 27. This is just one little verse, but it's not there by chance. Matthew 27, really cool what's going on here. A lot of neat uh, significance there. And it talks about right after when Jesus died. Okay. Matthew 27, 51. Okay. 
And right after Jesus and uh, 50, he says, and when Jesus uh, had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus died on the cross immediately. This is the very next thing that's recorded for us that took place. All right, verse 51, Matthew 27 says this, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, 50. At that moment, the what? Curtain or veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks Okay, split. Now, the veil was not some little thing made out of Kleenex. This was a huge, massive, very thick cloth thing, right? I mean, you're not just going to go, right? Huge thing. So this baby, when Jesus rose again from the grave, remember, he's the gate, he's the offering, he cleanses us, he's the light of the world, the bread of life, and he's the fragrant incense to God. He split this baby. You know what the Bible's saying? Every person of Jewish descent at that point blew their minds, because nobody went behind the veil. The only person who ever went behind that veil was the high priest. Oh, who's our high priest? Jesus, very interesting, right? Went behind the veil was our high priest, and only the high priest went in there uh, once a year, okay? And, there, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, on the ark. And who, who, who gave us his blood? His oh, Jesus, right? But the scripture records that an actual historical event, that when Jesus died on the cross, this went pew, What's he saying? For the first time, since it used to be when God walked with Adam and Eve intimately in the, in the garden, before sin, Jesus brought us, as Hebrew says, to the very throne of God. And we have confidence to approach him with boldness in our time of need. Do we understand the significance of that? Absolutely amazing. So you get all that. Isn't that a fantastic object lesson from God? Now, open your Bibles to Colossians, okay? And this is what we see in Colossians chapter 2, okay? Why is God doing this? Because he's pointing us to the promise, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Colossians chapter 2, and uh, verse 16 through 17, talks about why is God doing all these object lessons for us. Uh, chapter 2, 16 and uh, 17. Therefore, Paul says, do not let anyone judge you by what? You eat or drink. Now, why is, that, why is he talking about that? Because that was another thing that uh, we didn't talk about. There was another object lesson that God gave to the Jewish people. And they were called the exciting dietary laws. Doo -doo 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 -doo. And apparently that's the dietary law song. I don't know about you. Uh, but anyway, dietary laws, that's right. And, they, and you read through the New Testament, it's like, man, what? They couldn't eat shellfish and they couldn't eat pork and... They couldn't eat rock badgers. Mm. I don't know, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it's just like, there's certain, it's what, right? Well, it was an object lesson. Well, some of it, I think, was obviously in the desert. Uh, how many guys would say that eating pork in the desert without refrigeration is not a good thing? So there's a practical side to that, certainly with shellfish, too. Okay, chicken, I'm sure, that's very foul. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> hey, you walked into it. Thank you, bro. I'll give you gum later. But anyway, uh, is uh, dietary laws. Is, uh, but also, they were to typify the same thing. God is holy, we are not. Dietary laws, they were separated into two kinds of food. Clean, unclean. What do you think God's trying to teach the people? Me clean, you no clean. <laughs> you heapy trouble, right? And we all know God talks like that. But anyway, so, uh, right? And that was the dietary laws, right? We don't, we don't follow those today, right? Why? Because with the Ten Commandments and the temple, we don't do the temple today, do we? Right? We don't do the dietary laws. Anybody glad about that? Me and bacon right here. 
Dude, I just love bacon. Give me some bacon. Put some bacon on top of the bacon with bacon bits and bacon juice. You know what I'm saying? It's so good. Anyway, so I digress. But anyway, so you got, I'm hungry. <laughs> so clean and unclean, right? It's the same object lesson. We don't feel, why? Because listen, those were not the final end game. That's not the, the, the reality is Jesus Christ. All these things, the Ten Commandments, the temple, the dietary laws were to send a message to the people. Oh, by the way, when the Israelites did this, as the scripture says, they were to stand out from the rest of the nations who did eat this stuff, who didn't do the temple like this, who didn't have the Ten Commandments, right? Because God wanted to use the Jewish people themselves as the message, hey world, me, Jehovah, my people, holy, you, unholy. Because was God only interested in redeeming just the Jewish people? No, it was mankind. And that's why the Jewish people got in trouble repeatedly with God when they violated this stuff. Because guess what was happening to their witness? Guess what was happening to God's object lesson? You were ruining it. You were, going, you were living unholy just like the unholy world. How am I going to use you as an object lesson? You're messing it up. And so he would discipline them, right? Oh, doesn't God say that we're supposed to be that way today? Did you know that's repeated not just in the Old Testament, it's repeated in the New Testament? Be ye holy because I am holy. Because as you and I as Christians live holy lives, guess what we're doing? We're that object lesson to the world. It's not because, hey, look at me. We're better than you. It's like, no, I refrain from this because... I love Jesus because he's cleansed me from my sins, right? He's holy, I'm not. The only way I'm getting there is a gift. I'll tell you that for sure. Okay, but that's God's object lesson, clean and unclean. But the scripture says this is what God was doing with all this, okay? He was progressively revealing this throughout history. Colossians chapter two, now let's read there. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what? Eat or drink, the dietary laws. We don't fulfill those anymore, right? That's not the issue. He goes on, or regard to what? A religious festival, do we keep the Jewish festivals? And that's a whole other talk. You want to go into some symbolism? Go into the Jewish festivals and what they stood for and things of that nature, and then go look at Jesus. The same thing that's going on there. So, but again, is, 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 do we keep them? No, we don't. And it goes on, or a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, this is important, understanding uh, this time frame in the Old Covenant versus New Covenant, because you have Christian cults today. One of the big ones, they're not the only one, is Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists take the Old Testament and say it applies for you and I today. And they misunderstand this whole thing, that the reality is now found in Jesus Christ. We're not under the Old Testament anymore. And you need to understand the Old Testament through the eyes of the new, okay, as God progressively reveals himself. The reality is found in Jesus Christ. But they would say that you and I today are unspiritual because we are not keeping the Sabbath. We don't worship on a Saturday. They worship on a Saturday. Did you realize that? Okay, they would even say that you and I worshiping on a Sunday is the mark of the beast. Did you know that? What? Right? And amongst other things, the, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, and again, we'll get into this in much greater detail later, they would also guess what they also keep? Dietary laws. Did you notice that some messianic, quote-unquote messianic uh, Christian groups, you know what they keep and say that you need to keep? The Jewish festivals. Things... What's the scripture say? No. Don't let anybody judge you and say, oh, you got to eat and drink this, or you can't eat this, you can't drink this, or no, you got to keep this festival. Paul says, no, don't do that. He says, right, these are what? They are a shadow 
of the things that were to come, the reality, however, is found in who? In Jesus Christ. Do you understand? What was the purpose of this? God wants all of mankind to be saved. And the purpose was to show them that God is holy, we are not. God is clean, we are unclean. And so we get the Ten Commandments, the dietary laws, the, the tabernacle, later to become the temple, the exact way it was construction, and even the Jewish people themselves, and you and I even today, when we live holy lives, are to be that walking object lesson to the whole world, the ultimate dilemma. Believe it or not, guys, you weren't there, but you came from two people, Adam and Eve. Everything was great until sin entered the world. The problem with that is you're cut off from me. The problem with that is I created you for a relationship with me. But you know what? I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to crush the head of the serpent, right? And all you need to do is receive him and trust in his work that he did for you on the cross. And you'll have that direct access to me. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through anybody. You have direct access with God. You could walk intimately with me every single day, okay? That's amazing what God's called us to do. The reality is found in Jesus Christ. Since God has progressively revealed more truth about himself and his plan, okay, through the age, it is important to understand that the New Testament takes priority over the Old Testament as its source of doctrine. Let me translate that for you. Basically, you need to read the New Testament through the, uh, the Old Testament through the eyes of the new, right? And again, because if you don't understand that distinction, now, does it mean that we shouldn't listen or we shouldn't study or there's no value in the Old Testament? No, of course not, right? But you need to understand it. Who is it applicable for? On the timeline, who's this dealing with? Is this dealing with us today or is it dealing with the Jewish people? Is God's progressively unveiling the need of a Messiah, Jesus Christ? And when he comes, it's fulfilled and we don't have to keep these external laws, right, of, of that nature. Okay, where does it all fit in line? Uh, because that's the reality that we need to keep in mind. Because again, some people will do other things, right? Aren't you glad that today, now it's in the Bible, you know, because you hear people, well, it's in the Bible, that means it's good for today. Not necessarily. You have to read the, under, uh, the historical context. Aren't you glad that when you and I sin today, that we don't bring an animal in here and slaughter it right here? You know how many people get upset? Because we just pay good money for this carpet. <laughs> yeah, let alone what? Right? Or you had to do some peace offering. Every time you blew it, you had to give of something. Right? Well, it's our lives now are a living sacrifice, Paul says. Right? And notice it's not a dead sacrifice. You don't bring a dead an animal dies for you. Right? Now you give of your whole life to Jesus. But as far as the command to have a high priest, a command that we have to worship with this ritual in this way on this certain day and things of that nature, and I have to go get a lamb or depending on the sin, I got to get uh, you know, a certain amount of uh, a dove or whatever this, and I got to add to that or this, and I got to go through. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore? This is the importance of the book of Hebrews. If you want to understand the Old Testament and all the things we talk about, read the book of Hebrews. Go home tonight, start it. Read the book of Hebrews opens up all kinds of fantastic things. Jesus is our high priest now. And what's the scripture say? He died once for all. He perfects forever. It's not repeated. And that's part of the blasphemy, with all due respect to the Roman Catholic belief system, that the communion turns into the actual body and actual blood of Jesus Christ. Transubstantiation is what they call it. This is what the reformers, our heritage, rejected. 
Because in essence, it's sacrificing the body of Jesus over again. And somehow that act is earning you merit with God. That's blasphemy. Scripture says only once, once for all. You don't repeat it. Plus, it's symbolic. Do this in remembrance of me. It doesn't turn into his actual body and blood, right? And you're thinking, man, these are, why did these guys go to war into town over this stuff? Because eternity's on the line, right? That's our heritage. But anyway, that's right. Man, I didn't get near as far as I thought it would. <laughs> we're going to start praying again. <laughs> uh, Lord willing, next time, uh, we're going to get into a little bit more of the history, but we're going to get into, probably for several weeks, Okay, we just dealt with in mass detail the importance of understanding the Jewish people leading up to Jesus' first coming, right? Eventually, Lord willing, next week, uh, we're going to get into why we need to pay attention to what's going on right now with the Jewish people prior to his second coming. Because Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies concerning his uh, first coming. Scripture records another 300 and some for his second coming. And if you fill the first uh, 300 and some to a T, how many think he's going to get on the next one? Right? And a lot of them has to do with the Jewish people. And if you, we don't know the day nor the hour, but if you want to know it's getting close, you need to pay attention to the Jewish people. Then we're going to get into modern Judaism, because modern Judaism is way different than the Old Testament. And we do the same thing that some people do to us over here in America. You get some foreigners, and they come, you know, if you go visit their country over in Europe, they say, hey, you, you're from America. You must be Christian. Because they assume that everybody from America is what? Now, we living here know better, right? Excuse me, I wish it was that way, but it ain't, right? Many t- we do the same thing when it comes to Israel. We over look at Israel and we go, oh, man, they're all orthodox. They all want to build the temple. They got, you know, the hair, and they're over there at the weight. No, that's a very small portion. They're very secular. In fact, right now, if you can believe it or not, one of the big promoters of the homosexual movement and having homosexual parades is in Israel. So there's a huge secular development, right? Now, you go, what's that? Well, to me, it's just spiritually, it's not only unfortunate, um, but it also, it tells you the spiritual condition that these people are in because they're ultimately going to make an actual covenant with the Antichrist himself, right? But anyway, we'll get to that, Lord willing, uh, next time. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not The two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. 
Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, 
if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless